Uh, you may not relate to uh, Andy Griffith um, as he did his best as a single dad to raise a son, but uh, maybe you look more like this. It's a um, kind of more generic uh, direction. And uh, you might say, well, what's this have to do with me? I'm a mom. I'm uh, not married, uh, whatever. Uh, principles are principles. God's principles apply to everyone. But the truth is, uh, there are a lot of things in the Bible that only very specifically apply to one group of people, or in this case, one gender of people, uh, people with very specific circumstances. But the principles go across the board. They never change. And so this morning, we're going to look at the whole concept of someone to look up to. So whether you're a father or not, you should be the kind of person that those around you, and particularly if you have children, can look up to. And moms, that's no different for you uh, either. But uh, we want to look at the biblical role of a father, the view of that, the balanced approach to parenthood and specifically fatherhood. In Proverbs chapter 17... Verse 6, it says, Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their fathers. That's where I got the title from, because the glory of means that something that you look at as a bright spot in your life. <clears throat> and f- sons, without a doubt, do look up to their parents. And I have to tell you that it says sons here, but I cannot overemphasize the role of a dad in his daughter's life. It's equally important. Sons need to see a father who is an example of what it means to be a man, to be a godly man, to live for the Lord, to be taught those things that he ought to know. But daughters also need a dad so that they can see what kind of a husband they're ultimately looking for. What a man should act like so that they are not a victim. And I see way too many of that as families get split apart, as, as problems come into families, and it's not getting any better. Uh, children grow up without that type of guidance. And I would encourage you, I don't care at this moment what your relationship with your kids are as dads, whatever you need to do, do everything in your power with God's help to be a dad. And I don't care if they're 40 years old now and you've got a bad relationship or a relationship that never really was what it's supposed to be. Whatever you do, whatever you do, take every opportunity to be a dad so that people, your kids, I'm sorry, could indeed look up to you. And I also know that it says grandchildren are the crown of old men. I didn't know what that one meant until about 10 years ago. But when you, if, if any of you watch here, and my John's kids come in, John and Missy's kids come in, and they see Grandpa, man, they come flying over. Caroline, as big and gangly as she is, she acts just like her mother did at those days. She has no control whatsoever. You've got to be bracing yourself or you're going to find the pastor laying on the floor back there one day. But it's just really cool to see that because they do indeed uh, bring joy to us as, as grandparents. I think most of you know that. And um, you've heard me say this. Maybe you've said this. Uh, grandchildren are indeed a double blessing once when they come and once when they go. 
And uh, that's cool because you don't have to change the diapers and deal with the crankiness and discipline them and all those kinds of things. You just get to have fun with them, and that is a lot of fun. Now, I'd like to start out by giving us a revised version. You may have seen this before, but I'd like to go over it. There are no biblical verses in this. There are 12 things uh, that I found this a long time ago. I've used it over and over again. I revise it very slightly. But how to raise a rebel. That is someone who simply does what they want to do. A rebel, by definition, is someone who knows right but doesn't do it. And uh, we need to be a part of them knowing what is right and then encouraging them to do what is right. From Beginning from infancy, give the child everything he wants. This way he will grow up to believe that the world owes him a living. We live in a generation now that we believe the government owes, owes us a living. If there's a hard time in our life, the government ought to be covering for us. And unfortunately, we give them everything but what they really, really need sometimes. They need spiritual guidance. They need self-discipline, the ability to say no at the right time, the courage to say yes when they need to say yes. And we need to make sure that we don't simply cover for them. Make, and one other one will say, make excuses for them. We need to teach them self-discipline, and they need to know that uh, just because you don't have everything uh, doesn't mean that your life is worthless. My parents, I've got to tell you, we didn't have a lot, and they never made excuses. They never said, we're poor, you can't do that. They just said, there's not enough money. And we don't really care what your friends have. This is the way it is in our family. That's the way it is. Growing up, I didn't like that. i got to tell you that. Neither will your kids. But now I understand it and realize that it was what we needed to do. When he picks up bad words, laugh at him. It will encourage him to pick up cuter phrases that will blow the top off your head later. And I have seen parents do this over and over again. The kid picks up a bad word, and unfortunately, many times it comes from mom and dad. But it can come from other sources. And the first time they say it, they kind of say it, and you can hardly understand it, and it's funny. And they laugh, so the kid repeats it. And the parents make that a big joke. After a while, they think that's normal. The fact is, when you laugh at them, what have you just done? You've encouraged them to do those kinds of things. And after a while, when they say it to grandma and grandpa or somebody else, the teacher, and now you got a note from the teacher, your kid's using bad words, it's not so funny anymore. I have to tell you that from the very beginning, we need to be someone they can look up to. And they will, if you think they'll look up to you because you're their best buddy or you're their friend and you laugh at wrong things, They'll think it's great at first, but after a while, they will not respect you. They will not be able to look up to you. So I, I, I just want to point out that if you want to be the kind of a, a, a parent that is the glory of their children, you need to take a stand. While these are not biblical, uh, they have a biblical basis. Never give him spiritual training. Wait till he's 20. Let him decide for himself. I just had someone tell me that this week, that uh, they were forced to be a such-and-such religion, but they're not going to do that to their children. I got to tell you, and my encouragement was, no, 
don't give them a denomination, don't give them a church membership, don't give them those types of things, but give them the Word of God. Because you cannot make good decisions without good information. So, don't force them. Don't force them, well, you're this age, you ought to get baptized, or you're this age, you ought to join the church, or do one of these kinds of things, or you ought to do... No, not that kind of a thing. But teaching them the truth. That is, having devotions with them, praying with them, taking them to church, not sending them to church, taking them to church, knowing who their teachers are, and uh, backing them up, and just... Simply teaching them the stories from the Word of God from the very beginning. I remember our kids would, they would have read the story of David and the the lamb every night at devotions. We had a, because we'd ask them, what what story do you want? Well, we want the lost little lamb story. Well, we would do that one quite often. But we needed to tell them, no, there's more to the Bible than the lost little lamb story. We needed to do that and... uh, I, I don't know. My kids are weird because I had one time when they were just a little older gone through the book of Daniel. And after a while, I'd say to them some nights, I'd say, what story do you want to do? We, we want to do the shaggy goat. <laughs> Not the lost little lamb. The shaggy goat is one of the prophecies from Daniel. Don't ask me where these weird kids came up with that, but I don't think any other kid in the world asked for the shaggy goat story. Uh, but anyway, go back to the book of Daniel and look it up. It's, it's just that they really enjoy not only the truth of the Word of God, but you being there, reading it to them, telling it to them, explaining it to them. They enjoy that, and it builds um, a relationship that we should have. The fourth one, avoid the use of the word wrong. It may develop a guilt complex and ruin their self-esteem. This will condition him later to believe when he's arrested for stealing a car that society is against him and he's being persecuted. The word wrong, the word sin, the word bad are not bad words. They are words that should be used when appropriate. Absolutely, we live in a time when it's we want to encourage our children. And I will tell you that there are times from the past and even today yet that we get so frustrated that we get negative. Absolutely not encouraging you to do that because that's just as bad as never saying no or bad or wrong or anything like that. But you need to keep it in balance because reality tells us there are things that are harmful. There are things that are beneficial. And we need to teach them the difference between the two and to avoid Uh, doing some of those things does not do our children a favor. Oh, they may be happy for a short while, but when they find out that you've just excused wrong behavior and now it doesn't work out that way, uh, that takes the uh, shine off very, very quickly. As far as a guilt complex or ruining self-esteem, just remember, self-esteem comes from having a totally valid, balanced view of what life is. Knowing who you are and who you are not. Knowing what is okay and what is not. When you come to grips with that, now you have proper, excuse me, proper self-esteem because you know exactly who you are. 
You know how you fit. But if we don't do those kinds of things, we have children that are floundering in the world. They don't know which direction to go. So I encourage you, do not uh, stay away from that. One of the things that we need to know for all of life is that we need to set rules for our children. And uh, those are rules or standards, whatever you want to call them. Thank you, sir. Uh, And there need to be known consequences to them, and then you need to be consistent. That's really all you need to know about disciplining uh, children. You need to know that uh, they need rules and standards. They need to know what the consequences are because that keeps you from disciplining them or acting in an emotional manner. Uh, And they aren't surprised. They don't say, well, that's not fair. Oh, they might say that anyway, but you know it's fair because they knew you hit your sister, this is what happens. You lied to me, this is what happens. You knew that ahead of time. You were willing to pay the price. (laughs) You don't like it, but you're willing to pay it. And that's what we need to do. And consistency. I've had people who did not discipline their children uh, come to me and say, what do I do? My my seven-year-old, my six-year-old, my eight-year-old's out of control And they've never disciplined them at all other than, now that wasn't nice. So I said, well, maybe you need to let them know that next time they do this, they're going to get a squat. Well, they come back a week later. Well, they did this. They lied or they disrespected or whatever. So I give them a squat. And 10 minutes later, they did it again. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. They think you're joking. That was a fluke. (laughs) You need to be consistent they do it every 10 minutes, they'll find out eventually that uh, this doesn't pay. That's the consistency part of it. But continuing on, number five, pick up anything he leaves laying around, books, shoes, and clothing. Do everything for him so he will be experienced in passing the responsibility to others or passing the buck. You don't need to teach children that. I was born with that, and so were you. It's part of the sin nature, which is selfish and self-centered. Everybody should be looking out for me. I should be able to do what I want, and they have to suffer the consequences. Uh, But we need to make sure that if we're going to prepare them for life, there is a responsibility factor. Whether it's school, whether it's with the law, whether it's with a future boss, whether it's with other people, it doesn't matter. They need to know they have to be responsible for their actions. And we need to teach them that. Number six, let them read, view, or play anything and anytime that is available. Be careful. The silverware and the drinking glasses are sterilized, but let his mind feed on garbage. We're in a time when safety is, safety is everything. Uh, and, and I am not advocating this, so, so don't uh, understand. I am not advocating what I say next, but I was the oldest of a family of seven kids. We all went to church or wherever we went in one medium-sized car. Now, I'm not telling you that was safe. I'm just telling you that's what we did. There would be four of us in the front. Uh, my, mom would, my dad would drive. My mom sat in the middle with a kid in her arms, and I sat on the other side, and then the other, how many is that, four, five, sat in the back seat. I mean, we didn't need, there were no seatbelts in cars back then. If you would have had an accident, you couldn't go anywhere because you were packed in that tightly. I mean, that's just the way it was. And remember those car seats that just hung over the top of a, a seat? 
those things were like a, a, uh, ejector seats. If you ever got in an accident, the kid would go right through the windshield. I am not advocating that. So don't go out of here saying Paul doesn't care about safety and those things. But you know what we've done? We have emphasized those things, and rightly so, rightly so. But we have neglected to emphasize the things that really are important. And so they've got to be in their car seat, but at home the VCR will play anything that fits in it. Or the TV will be allowed to play whatever is there. Uh, they spend as much time with a video game that's got more violence than you would, if you sat down and looked at it, you would say, this is horrible. But yet we let our kids do those things, and we let them uh, fritter away their time at worthless pursuits. We need to make sure that it's safety here as well as physical safety. We need to do that. You're the parent. Uh, we need to. And one of the things that's so important for younger kids, I want to emphasize this, they learn quickly. My old brain has a hard time absorbing new stuff these days. But they, you show them one time and wham, they've got it. They already learned it. And you go, I wish I could learn like that. Well, you used to. You don't anymore. And so be very careful with younger children. And I know some of you are grandparents, but they come to your house and you go to their house and... You know, I know you can't override your kids while they're raising their kids, but when they're with grandma or grandpa, you know that there's a different standard, and you need to make sure you stick to it. Quarrel frequently in their presence. They won't be so shocked then when your family breaks apart. You may be having family problems. That may be the case. But make sure... The problem between spouses and adults stays there. Do not drag the kids in the middle of it. You zip your lip, deal with it someplace else, out of their presence, because you probably have to deal with a lot of things. But make sure that your children don't see that this is the norm, because it should not be the norm. Maybe in your case, but make sure that they are out of the presence. Give your child all the spending money he wants. Never let him earn his own money and save for things he wants. Why should he have things as tough as you did? I don't want any kid to have it tough. But I also know that's reality. A few years ago, parents probably would have said, get your head out of the past someplace, pastor. But now we're in a recession. Things do start to change. And it gets us back a few notches. Where you can't just simply do whatever you want when you want and uh, give them everything they want. But I will tell you that uh, the things that you teach them now. We had two kids that um, they learned the money thing right away. They, they seemed to get it right away. And we had two that I would, was thinking would never learn It just seemed like they never did it. But we allowed them and uh, made them save their money. And it wasn't, well, if you get some money, you can spend 50% of it and give 10% to God, and then the the rest of it you put in the bank. We were like, no, you put almost all of it in the bank, and you put it there, and we'll help you to think through if you're going to even ever spend any of it. Because we told them, you're going to need it for the future. And one of the things that we did teach them, if this helps you at all... um, and this is not the finance uh, 
uh, sermon of last week, but we told them from the very beginning, whatever you get, we take 10% off the top, and we had an envelope. And all that money went in an envelope, and we would collect money, uh, almost like 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We would collect it for a while, and then the kids, one night, democratically, would decide where they wanted to give it. And at that point, we encouraged them to do a project. Sometimes it was a VBS project. Sometimes it was they heard of, of a, a need like would have been like Haiti or something like that where they said, we want to give to that. Or sometimes they would give to one of our missionaries from church here. Mrs. Diamond was their favorite. Or occasionally they would send it to uh, radio, uh, I mean, um, Children's Bible Hour where we got our devotional materials from. They would have the opportunity. And they got excited about where they were going to give their money. And the rest of it, they put in the bank. And occasionally they would say, we want to buy one of them boombox things. We want one of those. So we'd say, well, okay. And after a while, they'd get a birthday or something. we say, okay, now you can spend this. Every now and then they wanted to spend on stuff that we vetoed because we knew it was junk. Um, I think occasionally we'd let them do one of those things and then they found out it was junk and you can do that on a limited basis. But they need to understand the value of a dollar. They need to understand that you don't just do whatever you want with everything you have and uh, not take into consideration the future. Uh, I encourage you to, to in that direction. Number nine, satisfy every craving for food, drink, and comfort. See that every desire is gratified. Denial may lead to harmful frustrations. If they don't know what denial is, it will lead to harmful frustrations in the future. Because when they get married, they're going to assume that um, they have as much money to deal with and their spouse ought to agree that anything that they want, they should have. I deal with those budgets in my office. Because neither one has learned to deny themselves anything and they spend every cent or they spend even more than they actually earn. And they land up causing all kinds of problems. I have a saying that says, if you have marriage problems, you'll have money problems. If you have money problems, you will have marriage problems. It works that way. And one of the biggest, one of the first things I do in marriage counseling is ask them to do a budget because I know the stress that finances will put on any marriage if they're not under control. We need to teach them from a young age. Every time he gets in trouble, take his part against the neighbor, the teachers, and the policemen. They're all prejudiced against your child. I have to tell you, I told my kids, I'll be the bad guy any day. If, you don't, if somebody's trying to pressure you to do something wrong, make me the bad guy. Tell them, tell them dad'll kill me or dad'll ground me for life or any, you can tell them anything you want. I don't care. I'll be the bad guy. But I also know, I also told them that if they get in trouble, they had better, it better be a mistake that they got in trouble. Otherwise, I'm for your teacher. I'm for the policeman. I'm for whoever it is. If you're, if you're right and you've been mistreated, I'll stand up for you. But you better be able to prove it one way or the other. Here's the key. You stand for what is right. It's not my kid and I'm standing up for them. It's I stand for what is right. That's all that matters. And yes, sometimes you will. They will like, 
yeah, but the teacher said this and they did this. And you know what? Your teacher's right. And now you're in double trouble because you're trying to blame it on the teacher and you're lying about the teacher. You can't do that. As a parent, you stand up for what is right, not uh, a person, not your child. You stand up for what is right. When he gets in trouble, (laughs) apologize for yourself by saying, I never could do anything with him. You may have one that butts heads with you all the time. They may, when you say black, they say white. When you say yes, they say no. You say go left, they want to go right. You, you, you had one of those? It may be. But you don't quit. You need to be the stabilizing force in their life. You need to be the rock of Gibraltar and not vary from that. <clears throat> you, might, you might be able to legitimately say this, I did everything I know to do, and they still have made wrong decisions. If that's the case, fine. But if it's because of neglect and you didn't take the time and the energy that is required to have that input, to work with them, and every child is different. Most of you, a lot of you are grandparents and you know that every child is different. And then you look at your grandkids and you see, wow, they're even different. Yet, you see a broad perspective. But you need to be right down the middle for what is true, what is right, what is good. Uh, and consistently carry that out. It's a tough job. I've said many times in the past that if you're going to discipline your kids and instruct your kids, you need to play with them before you can discipline them. They need to know, not that you're your best friend. You're the parent. Be a parent. They can have all the best friends in the world. You're a parent. And you know what that means. They are not going to like you sometimes. They are going to think you're the worst person in the world. I know. Our kids have thought those things. Never said it in those exact words. But it's like, well, everybody else. You've you've probably heard all of those. Then you talk to the other parent. And I've done that already. You go talk to the other parent and you find out, my kid's not allowed to do that. Well, they got together and they thought they could pull one over on you. You, you need to be careful about that whole thing. And then, prepare for a life of grief. You'll have it. If you're not willing to be a parent, not willing to say yes and no, and sin and wrong, and no, you are required, or no, you're not allowed to, you're restricted there because that's not good for you. If you're not willing to do that, you will have the consequences of it. It will be your life. I, one of the greatest joys is to be a parent, be a dad. It is a joy. When my kids were little, uh, we would spend a lot of time playing with Legos. By the way, the, the best toys in the world are the ones dad likes also. <laughs> because you'll spend more time with your kids. So we spent a lot of time building just about anything you can think of with Legos. And then my kids got older and they liked basketball. Almost every night after school, we would be on our driveway with the neighbor kids playing basketball until mom called for supper. And we'd all come to supper all sweaty and panting hard and all that kind of thing. But you know what? Those are the kinds of things that the kids look back on and say, wow, dad was there with us. 
But we also spend that, as soon as supper was over, we spent time with family devotions and, and looking at the Word of God and discussing things. And me, not every night, but there were nights where I would plan for 15 minutes. And then they would start asking questions about the Bible, about school, about life, about you name it, whatever it was. And we'd be going on, and finally Faye would say, Paul, they need to do their homework, they need to get baths, they need to get ready for bed. You need to shut that down. Now, it didn't happen all the time. But just those moments where you spend time playing with them, spend time teaching them, all of those things go together to do the exact opposite because they know that you will spend some time with them. Does that require discipline on your your behalf? The answer is yes. It absolutely does, because there are a lot of things that I do now that I didn't do back then simply because there was a priority, and that was spending time with the kids. Now, let's go to the passage. That's all background for what the passage says. So you'll understand where that comes from. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. To the children, and this includes children of all ages, by the way, the obedience part, no. While they're under your roof, while they're under your guidance, obey is a proper term. But that relationship, that respect for parents doesn't stop when you get married or move out of the house or graduate from high school or turn 18 or whatever it happens to be. But the honor continues on. Honor means to give value to, to treat as precious. That that never stops. You may be 60 years old and still despise your parents. I challenge you that that is not a biblical attitude. We are to honor them. And it says there's a reason for that, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the land. There's a quantity and a quality of the blessing that God wants to give you. And then verse 4 says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. Bring them to maturity. Help them to be all that they can be. That's our job as a parent. And very specifically, it says fathers are to do that. Unfortunately, many times we work hard, we work long, and we say, well, my wife's raising the kids. Dads, you can never do that. It ultimately biblically comes down, the buck stops with you. Does mom have an absolute lot to do with it? No doubt about that. Other passages of scripture will back that up. But you have the buck stops here responsibility. It is ultimately up to you to raise them. And here it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instruction is the teaching part of it. And that is more than family devotions. That is dealing with your attitude when you see them have a bad attitude toward your wife or they have a bad attitude or a a fight with their, their friends. It doesn't matter. You need to be there to instruct them, to encourage them in the right direction. 
letting them know biblical principle as well as practical application of that. And then it also says discipline. That is the exact opposite of hands-off raising children. There are four things that I have told people over the years that you need to discipline your children for. Deceit or lying, they're all these. Deceit or lying, because if they lie to you, they'll lie to others. And if they lie, you don't know if you can trust them. I put that one first. We always told our kids, you get double discipline for lying to us. If you do something wrong, we'll deal with it. But you lie to us first, it's going to be double. That's just the way I always looked at it. There is the disrespect. I can remember saying a few times to my children, that's my wife that you're talking to like that. She actually said that to one of the kids to me. I didn't usually work that way, but I, I still remember one day she goes, hold it a second, and I, don't, I can't quote her exactly, but that's my husband you're talking to. You know, disrespecting uh, someone else. Direct, or, uh, I'm sorry, defiant attitude. You say, can you discipline your children for attitude? The answer is yeah. Because attitude almost always comes before the direct disobedience, which is the last one. Because the attitude, uh, in fact, is occasionally, (laughs) we would tell our kids, do you need an attitude adjustment? (laughs) They knew exactly what that meant. They knew that whether they were being cranky or disrespectful or whatever it was, that Nothing had overtly happened yet, but their mind and their emotions and their words were going in a wrong direction, and they needed some correction. And we would, and they knew that, whoop, you have just come up to the line, and if you go further yet, there will be some corrective action. And then the last one is direct disobedience. You tell them, take out the garbage or, you know, pick up your toys or whatever it happens to be or go do your homework or go take a bath, whatever. You need to know that they know you're serious, that you're not out to get them or harm them or do something horrible to them. They need to know that you mean what you say and you say what you mean. One of the things that uh, one of my children uh, tended to uh, need three or four times to get something straight By the time he was, I can't can't tell you exactly how old he was, we had a little saying, and I've used it many, many times for that, is what is responsibility? If I know what to do, I do it without being told. That's number one. Number two, if I don't know what to do, I ask questions. And number three is I do what I'm told to do when I'm told to do with a right heart attitude. I've used that over and over again. Think about that. If you're a supervisor or a boss, wouldn't you love it if your employees acted that way? See, that's a definition of responsibility that doesn't only apply to children. It applies to workers and anyone, uh, spouses. If you don't know what your spouse is thinking, ask. You know, if your wife asks you to do something, you Try to do everything you can do to accommodate that. By the way, I didn't say I was perfect on that. I'm just telling you I know what the right thing is. But, if, but, uh, but Dad, I didn't know what you wanted me. Did you ask? <laughs> well, no. Well, then you know. If you're going to be a responsible person, you ask. Well, did you know you're responsible? Well, yeah, but, well, if you knew, 
then you shouldn't need reminded. Those types of things. But it's all a part of that. And if we don't do that, and we don't require those kinds of things, here's where we are in the verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The worst thing you can do is be inconsistent. They need to know who you are. They need to know what you stand for. They need to know that you will consistently uh, require the same thing all the, uh, all the time. It's not, I'm, I'm really tough on them because I had a hard day, so I'm going to really, you know, lower the boom on them. And the next day, it's like, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. They don't know which dad they're getting. They don't know which parent they're getting. They need to know that you're going to be consistent. Otherwise, you will provoke them. Why? Because they're going to be frustrated. They don't know what's expected. And so you have to have the standard the same across the board. They need to know without a doubt that you accept them unconditionally. You love them unconditionally. There's nothing they could do to break that love bond. You will love them no matter how bad, no matter how good they are. You love them. No exceptions. They need to know that you will hold them accountable, regardless of what the circumstances are, and that you will instruct them with what you know to be right. I would tell them, if I don't do this, I have to answer to God for it. It sounds like an excuse, but it's true, parents especially dads. If I don't do what I'm supposed to do, I have to answer to God for being negligent. And I'll I'll pay a price for that, and so will my children. But turn to Colossians chapter 3. There's one other uh, passage we're going to look at, and it's going to sound very similar to this one. But there are a couple of differences. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, As with Ephesians chapters 5 and 6, it deals with uh, family relationships, marriage relationships first, and then it goes into children and parents. But it says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered against them. So it says, mom and dad, be an example. Mom and dad, live the way God has designed marriage to, to be lived out. And then it goes to verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. That is a sinking feeling on the end of that, that your children don't lose heart. I grew up with, and this is, whether you're negligent and you just don't care because the children don't know what's expected. But I grew up with some kids that I remember. Their parents were impossible to please. Those kids had no backbone. They were defeated kids. They couldn't answer for themselves. They couldn't live for themselves. They, they couldn't make decisions for themselves because dad was ruling with an iron fist and made all the decisions. That's not good either. It is dealing with all of this. We don't want our children to give up in frustration. I can never please dad, so why even try is the the mindset that we see here. Because that also frustrates them. It exasperates, the word exasperate means bring them to anger. So whether you're inconsistent 
or non-existent, or you make all the choices and do everything for them, is all out of balance. The bottom line for the sermon this morning and for life in general is this. I want to be someone that my children and my grandchildren, and in some of your cases, my great-grandchildren, can look up to me. And they know that dad, grandpa, great-grandpa is consistent. That he says the same thing. That he will tell me what is true. He won't expect what I can't do. But he will expect me to do what I can do. He will hold me accountable for what I say, for my attitude, what I do. You say, are you sure that's what? Yeah, because think about this. You're mostly adults here. Do you look up to people who don't have a backbone? Who don't do what they say they believe? You don't respect people like that. You don't look up to those kind of people. And our children, while they are not simply miniature adults, they need someone to look up to. You've had, you have some life. You have some history. You have experience. And as a result of that, you kind of know what you're looking for. And you know what kind of person you respect. What kind of person you go, wow, they've, they've got my attention when they speak because they say what they mean. They mean what they say. Their actions follow their words. Their words are the same as their actions. We know that kind of person. And we gravitate and we say, yeah, I respect that person. Our children need to see a dad, a grandpa, a great-grandpa who does exactly that same thing. Do they always appreciate it? No, they do not. Do they understand it? No, they do not. Not now. But you are going to be, and should be, someone they can look up to. Whether it's right this moment or not is irrelevant. It's you need to be consistent. So indeed, they have someone they can look up to. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, it is a unique joy, privilege, and great